I'm Dr. Walter Malone, Jr., founder of WM Ministries. I want to thank you for joining with me for this segment of Tailored to Win, that I might share with you some insights that can inspire, inform, and empower your life. And today, I want to talk with you again on the question, where is the village? And I'm dealing with it this time from a theological perspective of economic justice. And this angle of dealing with this subject matter from a theological perspective is important because poverty oftentimes becomes the breeding ground for all of the social pathologies that we see being manifested in the African-American community. And the question is not where have we been, but where are we going? The question as Martin Luther King Jr. raised is where do we go from here. And we need to look at this particular issue from the angle of God, not just in terms of our own opinions or our own speculations, but does God have anything to say to us about the challenges that we are facing at this particular time in history in the black community? And as a person who is a person of faith, I am a Christian. I am a person who I am unapologetic about being a Christian and I'm unashamed about being African-American. And so uh, I take serious my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and I take serious what the Word of God has to say to us about this subject matter. So to begin with, when we talk about a theological perspective of economic justice, the biblical record speaks of God's activity and involvement in history in bringing the world and mankind back into a state of blessed wholeness. This idea of blessed wholeness concerns humanity being in right relationship with God as creator and with each other. I want you to consider what we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. And the Word of God reads like this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. This is a quotation from Jesus himself as he responds to a certain lawyer one day about what is the greatest commandment. It is very clear in the response that Jesus gives that he reminds us that when we talk about the Christian faith, that the Christian faith is really not about religion, it's not about rules, it's not about regulations, but it has everything to do with relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. On one hand, we can talk about this relationship being vertical, that is our relationship with God. And on the other hand, we can talk about this relationship being horizontal, and that is our relationship with one another. I think that you could understand that the vertical relationship ought to impact the horizontal relationship. And on the horizontal plane, if we do not present ourselves as 
showing respect and love for our fellow uh, brothers and sisters, for, uh, for all of humanity, it would question then the authenticity of our vertical relationship with God. Salvation is God's initiative to bring wholeness back into the created order. It is meant to save humanity from its inhumanity. God desires to save us from anything that oppresses us, including economic injustice, from anything that works against the solidarity of the human community. When we look at the word of God, we could take the story of the Exodus as an example. When Moses, a representative of Yahweh, is called in the Midian desert to go back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. When you look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, we hear God speaking to Moses and he says this, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. When Moses goes back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar, says that when Moses speaks to Pharaoh, in essence, what he says to Pharaoh is that the brickyard is under new management. And then when you consider the covenant at Mount Sinai, the covenant at Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments were in part a follow-up to God's desire for solidarity and economic justice. At Mount Sinai, the children of Israel were reminded that it was Yahweh who had freed them from slavery and economic oppression. They were to relate to one another and others now as a kingdom of priests. When, when God brought Israel out of slavery, he did so by giving them an ethical imperative as to how they were to relate to one another. Because God does not bring us out of darkness for us to continue to walk in darkness, but to walk now in the light. God does not deliver us from oppressive conditions for us now to turn around and to oppress one another or to oppress others. So the question could be raised, what are the demands of freedom? For some people, if you have been in captivity as a slave, perhaps your only desire would be to take the place of the oppressor. But that would be uh, a wrong decision because what one fails to recognize is that the one who was oppressing you when you were in slavery or in captivity, the fact of the matter is that they were not free themselves. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that no one can stand on your back or keep their foot on your back and run at the same time. And so the question then is, what are the demands of freedom? Although the children of Israel strove 
to build a new community of faith after their deliverance, they became susceptible to the idolatry of greed. They began to perpetuate economic injustice against each other. When we talk about the demands of freedom, we must always keep in mind that freedom demands responsibility. Freedom demands that we take control of our own lives and our own destiny and that we're not looking for anyone else then to make the way for us or to empower us, but that we're going to use what we have to empower ourselves. The demands of freedom demand that we love one another and we recognize the importance of community life. The demands of freedom demand that we not only love ourselves and that we love our own community, but that we love all of humanity because it is our opportunity to become a new model under God for what it means to live a life of wholeness, a life of justice, and a life of solidarity. The prophet Micah addresses the problem of economic injustice in a concise manner by declaring, He hath shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? That's Micah 6 and 8. The prophet Micah speaks out against the Jerusalem government for abusing and exploiting the poor. He calls for a change in the social system, particularly a redistribution of goods. In days past and gone in this country, we talked about the issue of affirmative action. Today, we speak of it as reparations. When we talk about reparations, when we talk about uh, the federal government, state government, city government, uh, giving uh, economic um, uh, resources to the African-American community for the injustices that have been perpetuated against uh, our people for many, many years. This is not black people with their hands out begging, but it is simply African-Americans reminding this nation that they need to make good on promises that they never kept, and they need to correct injustices done that were systematically perpetuated against people of color. It is a reminder to this nation that the playing field has been unlevel and that they need to level the playing field and they need to restore resources that were taken and resources that were not made available to the African-American community that put us in a precarious position. Consider, if you will, the Jubilee principle in the Old Testament, because the Jubilee principle in the Old Testament is a direct example of God's desire for economic equity among all people. Every 50 years, all slaves were to be set free and all land returned to its original owners without cost. 
land was a primary means of gaining wealth in Israel. When the children of Israel first entered the promised land, all the land had been divided on an equal basis among the tribes. But because of death, physical handicaps, and other social dilemmas, some people would become poorer than others. God instituted the Jubilee Principle to ensure an equitable distribution of land ownership every 50 years. The Jubilee Principle did not abolish private property, but it did provide equity as a means of acquiring wealth. And so when we look at the Old Testament records, it becomes very clear that God is working for economic justice. He's working for solidarity. And God has an expectation that people created in his image and his likeness would show love and mercy and justice and fairness to one another. Now, if you go to the New Testament records, in the New Testament, God's desire for wholeness and solidarity among people is vividly manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. In his ministry, Jesus stood against all forms of social injustice and oppression. In Jesus Christ, God takes the form of quote unquote the other as a member of an oppressed race, an exploited class, and a colonized nation. God in Jesus Christ becomes poor and oppressed. The paradox and the scandal of the incarnation is that God takes the form of a servant and makes himself one with the others. Jesus was not born in a palace, but in a manger. His parents were so poor, they could not bring the normal offering for purification, which was a lamb. So instead, they brought two pigeons to the temple. Jesus had no regular income during his public ministry, on one occasion, when some people were eager to follow him, Jesus warned them, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In his preaching and teaching, Jesus revealed his sensitivity to the poor and his stand against economic injustice. Consider also, brothers and sisters, what we are told in the book of Acts. The early church we read about in the book of Acts gave expression to the kind of wholeness and solidarity God desires among humanity. Their understanding of the need for economic justice is evidenced by the fact that they were characterized as having all things common and selling their possessions so that no one in the community would be in need. You read of this in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Then take note of what we learn from the letters of the Apostle Paul. In the letters of the Apostle Paul, reference is made to our responsibility toward the poor, particularly in 1 Corinthians Theological significance is given to the fact 
that many of the church members come from lower social orders. God has chosen the poor, the powerless, and the humble to serve in the kingdom. By choosing the poor and powerless in this manner, values are reversed. Those of high estate are brought low, and those of low estate are brought high. All human marks of distinction are superseded. You read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. I want you to understand today that redemptive history is a continuous manifestation of God's plan for a new community. Because of sin, God's idea of community was and still is disrupted. Brokenness and alienation are descriptive of the painful plight of humanity. The disorder and fragmentation of our world can be illustrated in the familiar lines of the nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But know today, let it resonate deep in your heart, that in Jesus Christ, God desires to bring all of humanity together to constitute a new community. A community that is in fellowship with God provides for all of our needs. There are enough resources available for all of humanity. Economic justice has to do with everyone having his or her rightful share of God's resources in the world community. I want to thank you again for sharing with me in this time of thinking, in this time of reflection, as we deal with the question, where is the village? And today, we have looked at it particularly from the perspective of a theological perspective of economic justice. It is my prayer that you have been inspired, that you have been informed, and that you have been empowered. Pray now that you have a wonderful and blessed continuous day in Christ. I look forward to you sharing with me again on Tailored to Win. God bless. Mm -hmm.